1: Do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
2: The NCAA women's basketball had an incredibly successful season. And now your favorite players from the 2023 to 2024 NCAA season will be in the WNBA. To all our veteran fans, welcome back. And to all the new fans joining, welcome to the W. This season, watch as proven legends Brianna Stewart, Asia Wilson, and Sabrina Ionescu continue their dominance while rookies Caitlin Clark, Cameron Brink, and Angel Reese prove themselves on a WNBA court. The WNBA is redefining basketball on their own terms this season, keeping the game and players front and center, while celebrating the intersection of identities and perspectives that align with fans. Welcome to the W. You're in for some world-class basketball.
3: I'm CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent Major Garrett. 60 Minutes is off this week. In its place, you will hear excerpts from two episodes of my podcast, The Debrief, with Major Garrett. We devoted two episodes to a big topic, disinformation. The storming of the U.S. Capitol shocked the nation. And for us, it brought to the fore the dangers of disinformation, in part related to a conspiracy group you've probably heard a good deal about recently. It's called QAnon. And in both of these episodes, we talk not only about what disinformation is, what it isn't, what its dangers are, how social media platforms enlarge the presence of disinformation, accelerate it through the universe of ideas, and how many Americans, whether they want to or not, can in some ways become addicted to disinformation. And that's certainly part of the QAnon story. And you'll hear from someone who describes himself as a QAnon survivor to explain exactly that effect. After the break, what you will hear is part one of our audio documentary, Disinformation.
2: It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this... You know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you.
4: 60 Minutes is off this week. You're listening to a special broadcast of CBS Audio's The Debrief with Major Garrett. Up next, Major explores America's disinformation crisis and how a conspiracy theory led to a riot at the U.S. Capitol.
5: In 2020, disinformation reached uh, record levels online.
4: Disinformation is the intentional propagation of untruths, lies, and the opposite of facts.
6: We're in a completely different universe now, where we've got homegrown, active disinformation campaigns that many of the people involved really believe to be true.
7: You have to separate out the classes of individuals and people or groups that that propagate disinformation. You have the the elites that really own the narrative and drive it for their own purposes, and then you have the the base that continues to uh, propagate, but they've bought in and they just don't know that it is in fact false.
8: The big defining feature of something like the big lie which is what brought about the the Capitol insurrection is that it was repetitive that is people saw it day in and day out in their social media feeds it was redundant
3: i'm major garrett and this is the debrief disinformation part one Welcome to the Information Age. Trust us, we get the irony. You are here because you seek information. By definition, you are much less likely to be an active or even unwitting consumer of disinformation. But like us, you might have underestimated its prevalence and its danger. And, like us, you may have more curiosity than ever about its origins, how it began as meddling by hostile nations, but has recently morphed into a domestic online virus of startling potency.
6: So we're at a whole other level of disinformation because it's homegrown. Right now, ordinary Americans who believe, really do believe, that they're doing their own research and helping to find the truth of what's going on are caught in a vast web of conspiracy. My name is Dr. Nikki Usher. I'm an associate professor at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign in the journalism department. The way that QAnon and uh, the mainstream right-wing media intersect, it's a pretty pretty close slippage. So when you add in platforms like Facebook and Instagram and everything else in the mix, it's really quite a dangerous concoction, this home-brewed disinformation. We're doing it to ourselves. Okay. Now, um, have you guys been following 4chan, Q, any of that stuff?
3: QAnon is an online community that believes, among other things, that former President Donald Trump is a time traveler. That a super race of genetically mutated birds will save mankind from lizard people. That Adolf Hitler was German Chancellor Angela Merkel's father. Oh, And the one you probably have heard the most about, that National Democrats worship Satan, drink blood, and run a pedophile ring.
6: I've I've read some stuff, but it's hard to follow. I mean, you have to spend a lot of time digging into it.
3: Much of this came from the cryptic dark web posts of a self-proclaimed government insider, allegedly with top-secret clearance, known only as Q. We should also note QAnon adherents spawned and spun lies about election fraud.
6: What happens is these fringe voices get amplified by people who are paying attention to them on social media. And it becomes really hard not to tell the stories that are being told to big fans of Fox News on Fox News. It makes the news organizations look irrelevant if they're not addressing what's percolating up on the far corners of the right-wing ecosystem of news and information. Sort of the the baddie stuff ends up trickling back in because to ignore it would make you look irrelevant.
3: We will discuss QAnon a bit more later in this episode. For now, it is worth noting first-term House Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene was a QAnon believer and from that gained political Prominence. For what
1: reason does the gentlelady from Georgia rise?
6: Mr. President, I, along with 70 of my Republican colleagues, object to the counting of the electoral votes for the state of Michigan. Let's just look at the election of these QAnon House reps to federal office, right? That's a really good example of people whose ideas were sort of in the minority. Those ideas got louder and louder, and in fact, gave these lawmakers the ability to run for national office and be elected, right? And that same sort of source of fringe to power is what we're seeing happen.
1: Is the objection in writing and signed by a member and a senator?
6: The objection is writing, not signed by a senator.
1: In that case, the objection cannot be entertained.
3: Green has spouted anti-Semitic tropes, falsely called the mass shooting at a Parkland, Florida high school, a hoax. She has also endorsed the execution of House Democrats, including Speaker Nancy Pelosi. House Democrats have called for her to be censured or expelled. What exactly did you mean when you
2: said that the enemy is within? What
0: exactly did it means that we have members of Congress who want to bring guns on the floor and have threatened uh, violence on other members of Congress?
3: Though we may be uncomfortable admitting this, disinformation is embedded in our daily life. It might seem like a lifetime ago, but disinformation featured somewhat prominently in President Trump's first impeachment. Part of the investigation involved a Russian disinformation campaign pitting the blame for Moscow's 2016 election interference on neighboring Ukraine. Ladies and gentlemen, the president-elect of the United States Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. and Dr. Jill Biden. President Biden didn't use the word disinformation in his inaugural address, but he sure described it. And we must reject
1: the culture in which facts themselves are manipulated and even
3: manufactured. Domestically, disinformation spreads like an infection through our favorite social media platforms. Those platforms monitor but also monetize disinformation. The
6: big difference here is that platforms, because of the way they're set up to feed off of emotion and uh, spew back to you the things that you are most likely to engage with as part of their profit model, what would ordinarily in a pre-digital world happen is just sort of one to, you know, your own sort of, self-contained, you know, thoughts ends up being spread across an incredible network of people and then reinforced by the algorithms of these social media platforms where people are sharing this content.
3: Disinformation has shaped American politics and eroded already shaky faith in national institutions. Most shockingly, disinformation fed the violent insurrection at the U.S. Capitol where people were beaten and died, both because they believed in disinformation and because they were defending the capital from disinformation.
2: There is no way anyone will ever convince me Joe Biden got more votes than President Trump.
7: When you think about, particularly over the last year or so, uh, some of the, the claims that the election was stolen, that it was rigged, that There were deceased foreign zombie dictators attempting to manipulate and flip votes throughout swing states. That is an example of disinformation. It is provably and demonstrably false. Those that propagated the big lie knew that it was doing so, but they advanced that narrative for their own purposes. So textbook case of disinformation.
1: Mr. Krebs, welcome
7: back.
3: Chairman Johnson, Ranking Member Peters. And members of the committee. Uh, Chris Krebs Krebs was director of the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. And.
7: famously the last uh, person fired by the president
3: via Twitter. Up until the last days of the Trump administration, Krebs monitored federal cybersecurity systems and helped states defend against cyber warfare, particularly around election security. Much of that work focused on foreign disinformation campaigns, and we all learned a good deal about Russian efforts in 2016.
7: 2016, if you look back at the intelligence community assessment that was released in January of 2017, it showed a three-pronged interference campaign from the Russian government, the Russian intelligence services. The first prong was to attempt to penetrate election machines, election voting systems, um, for purposes that are still immediately unclear, uh, but they certainly got into some voter registration databases. The second prong of the campaign was to push disinformation, in this case, uh, to the American people for the purposes of of dividing us.
3: The third Uh, prong was something called a hack and leak operation. The email account of John Podesta, top advisor to Hillary Clinton, was hacked damaging emails were released.
7: That's actually another type of uh, information uh, operation. That's malinformation. Malinformation is where you actually develop and seed false information with legitimate information and
3: push it out. Now, this is probably a good place to pause and go over some basic definitions we found helpful. Misinformation is one thing. Disinformation is quite another. Misinformation is when a friend tells you it's going to rain tomorrow and it turns out to be sunny. The friend was wrong. Friend didn't mean to mislead you. He just got the forecast wrong or the weather changed.
8: One of the things that's confounding about our field of research is that there's no communication without misinformation. People are wrong. That happens. But when we think about disinformation, We're really talking about how certain people or kinds of content like conspiracy or political disinformation. uh, We're talking about the ways in which it spreads online, so how it achieves scale.
3: Dr. Joan Donovan is the research director of Harvard University's Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, and Public Policy.
8: And so we're always trying to understand that the connection between The lie, who's doing it, how they're achieving scale, and then what are the effects of that.
7: Call now for America Online, a new way to use your computer to communicate, have fun, and get instant news and information.
3: Scale and speed, that is what's different about our information climate. The internet, a powerful tool of information and connectedness for sure, is also where malicious lies are given instant birth, amplification, and global distribution.
8: Yeah, we've had conspiracies, we've had rumors, gossip, uh, palace intrigue. Right, is a consistent theme in our literature, and so this moment, of course, is no exception to that. But the the big defining feature of something like the Big Lie, which is what brought about the the Capitol uh, insurrection is that it was repetitive, that is, people saw it day in and day out in their social media feeds. It was redundant, that is, they saw it in multiple different places every day, including off of social media and on cable and radio and in print.
3: And that is precisely what happened with the biggest lie of 2020, that President Trump won re-election.
9: Are you trying to say that as of January 20th, that President Trump
1: will be president. Well, that that depends on what happens on Wednesday. I mean, this is why we have the debate. No, it this doesn't. Is, Trump
3: I mean, fired Krebs because he said the president lost, fair and square, and that the election was the most secure ever, its results accurate and repeatedly verified.
7: What really was the more egregious and, and higher in volume, higher in flash, higher in impact was the big lie, and that's that the election was stolen and and that really started picking up domestically by the President and his supporters in the campaign and others in june or july and and really the seed for the big lie was that mail in voting the expansion of mail in voting for legitimate purposes due to this the fact that we had this little thing covid this this pandemic that would present risks to both poll workers and voters to to vote in person. So as mail-in voting expanded, the the president and his team or his campaigns viewed it as a a threat and started seeding this narrative that the only way they would lose is if the election was rigged.
9: When I hear the swing states and I hear all the changes in election rules at the last minute, when I hear that, to me, that's changing rules at the 11th hour. That, to me, constitutes cheating. Do
3: you know why rules were changed?
9: I know f- I know, for certain states, rules were changed because of COVID. Uh-huh. That was the excuse. The how-
3: coronavirus pandemic, with its lockdowns and work-at-home requirements, remains a seedbed of disinformation. It gave rise to conspiracy theories about the virus's origin, about miracle cures, about supposedly manufactured death counts and make-believe intensive care populations. Within this cauldron of doubt, lies about mail-in voting grew stronger.
7: When you think about what's happened to the country and really the world writ large over the last year, you know, it's not just... You know businesses that have accelerated a digital transformation into remote work and more people working from home. What you've really seen is culturally the diffusion or the lack of real clear distinction between, you know, when are you at work and when are you on your free time? And really more than anything, what that means is screen time. People are on devices with the screen in their face nonstop. And and there are real societal implications here.
3: one. One implication? Being drawn into one conspiracy theory that leads to another, then to another.
7: And I think that really helped stoke the fire of the big lie in, in over June-July time frame. And it was it was continued, caught a spark, and then they just piled more tender on top.
3: Former President Trump did this repeatedly before and after the election. His attorneys gave voice to noxious conspiracy theories, some of which made it into rapidly dismissed lawsuits. Others, they simply saved for credulous or spineless media outlets.
7: The moment that always sticks with me was immediately after I was uh, let go of my position.
3: This was in mid-November.
7: And you had a number of campaign attorneys, employees of the Trump for President campaign. You- at the RNC headquarters, and
3: there should never be another election conducted in this country. I don't care if it's for local dog catcher using a Dominion machine and Smartmatic software. We've got to have an American company that uses paper ballots that we can all verify so every one of us can see that our vote is our vote. We're talking
7: Sidney Powell, uh, Rudy Giuliani, Jen Ellis, and I think at the time I said it was the most dangerous and possibly craziest hour and 45 minutes of, uh, of television in American history. And you, and you look where it went from there. It, that to me, from there, it was only a matter of time with additional whipping up of, of the supporters that we were going to end up in a, uh, absent some intervention, end up with January 6th and the storming of the, the Capitol building.
3: That did not surprise you. Not at all. Not at all. Krebs's government agency, after studying Russia's role in the 2016 election, broke down disinformation campaigns, foreign or domestic, into five distinct parts.
7: First step is you identify the divisive issue. That's what they did over the summer with the rigged election. You mobilize your accounts, which means you, f- you figure out who's on your team and who's going to amplify. You really start stoking it as the third step. Fourth step is uh, you take it mainstream, and that's where you get it on TV whether it's on fringe networks or on press conferences or from the, the White House podium. And fifth is you take it into the real world. And the real world is where you see protests, where you see stop the steel rallies, where you see violence, particularly when you when you add in the language, the incite, the hand-to-hand combat, the, the we're going to have to fight for this. All those words get people spun up. And again, you know, it was entirely predictable.
1: you willing to do what it takes to fight for America? Louder, will you fight for America?
3: I'm CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent Major Garrett. 60 Minutes is off this week. You're listening to a special broadcast of my podcast, The Debrief. In this episode, we're exploring conspiracy theories, And disinformation. Experts tell us disinformation has never been more prevalent than it is now. According to a just released study by the German Marshall Fund, Facebook users interacted with deceptive posts more than 1 billion times in October, November, and December, twice the rate of 2016. Deceptive content on Twitter also reached all time highs, driven at historic rates not by bots or anonymous authors but by verified Twitter accounts.
5: Hello, uh, my name is Karen Cornblue. I'm the uh, senior fellow and director of the Digital Innovation and Democracy Initiative at the German Marshall Fund.
3: We wanted to know exactly how the study sifted disinformation and measured its scope.
5: What we're looking at is these outlets or websites uh, that spread disinformation online pretending to be journalism. So, the independent news rating source NewsGuard looks at sites online and rates them according to whether they've repeatedly published provably false information and whether they gather uh, and present information credibly. And we took outlets that had failed both those categories. We use NewsWhip data, which looks at how things spread online. And we saw that it had greater engagement in 2020 than in the past. What we're seeing is that there are these outlets online. These are, you know, massive footprints.
3: Go to Joe Hoff now of Gateway Pundit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Um, And great to be back.
5: That repeatedly put out false information, that slap a headline that has nothing to do with the underlying information. And they're working often with networks of pages that then further propagated or influencers who propagated or bot networks that propagate it and in that way people get the sense that this is you know fact checked verified news that their neighbor sent them and in fact it's a whole disinformation campaign
3: it is in itself a disinformation virus is it not
5: exactly exactly you know we we've gotten to this whole whack-a-mole situation where the platforms after the content has already gone viral, they'll take it down. So-
3: Facebook did that with something called Plandemic, a 40-minute disinformation video riddled with falsehoods about coronavirus. By the time Facebook acted, that video had been shared millions of times. After the fact monitoring is, experts tell us, more about face-saving for big tech companies then curating content for accuracy and reliability.
5: Disinformation makes money. Uh, The way the platforms work, as we know, is they sell ads. The longer uh, you stay online, the more uh, your friends stay online. So what's incendiary, what's conspiratorial, that keeps you online uh, being fed ads. And that makes money for the folks who are propagating the disinformation, and it makes money for the platforms. And the platforms aren't being asked to do anything but make money by their shareholders.
3: Right. I guess one way to think about it is information makes money, but disinformation makes a lot more and a lot faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the reasons conspiracy theories take hold, research suggests, is the absence of local and credible news sources. Local news in the form of newspapers and radio stations has atrophied during the digital age. Local TV news has tried to step in, but to very limited success. Hundreds upon hundreds of local newspapers have either died or been hollowed out. Again, Harvard's Joan Donovan.
8: We have a local news ecosystem that has been completely decimated. So places where people would go to find timely, local, relevant, and accurate information, those have largely disappeared because of social media's dominance in the advertising markets, uh, especially Google Search's uh, ability to capture information and and monetize it. And so we don't get to a loss of trust uh, in a declining trust in institutions, but through just them mishandling Information or or being wrong, we get there because people have less touch points with important truth telling institutions.
3: When mid sized cities or small towns lose local journalism, the alternatives are either large urban media outlets or upstart conservative ones. The conservative ones have tended to gain a quick cultural toehold,
8: and so within these smaller partisan. Uh, news outlets. There's this constant refrain of they don't want you to know. Don't listen to them. Uh, and them and they uh, are often either centrist or more mainstream media, and then of course leftist media. But within the right wing partisan news ecosystem, there's a a strong impulse to to ref, you know refuse to engage with. Uh, and share and read other kinds of news. And so all of these things together make it so that it's very difficult both to break out of those news echo chambers, but then also to find things that are resonant.
4: To a tech company, it doesn't matter if something is fact or fiction. The
3: only metric that really matters is engagement. Dan Patterson is a tech reporter for CBS and MarketWatch.
4: I just spoke with Maria Ressa, who is the CEO and founder of the Rappler Network in the Philippines, and she calls Facebook... Uh, a manipulation platform because it really does benefit the company. If you are engaged and sometimes enraged because happy passive people don't click on things, they don't share things and they're certainly not outraged enough to leave outraged comments. So I don't know for a fact that outrage generates more engagement, but the logic really seems to reinforce that point at Facebook. We believe in promoting authentic communication and minimizing misleading
0: or harmful communication.
3: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Google, all mine user habits for data. All use advanced algorithms and artificial intelligence to identify content that will lengthen screen time, lengthen user engagement.
4: Just yesterday, uh, I'll give you an example I interviewed a gentleman by the name of Frederick Brennan. He is the founder of the platform 8chan, which is where QAnon really took off. Fred is of and from the internet. This was an audio interview for a story. I just put the video on my YouTube in case, hey, maybe people will find this interesting. There was nothing controversial in this. And yet YouTube's algorithm banned and blocked the video saying this is um, cyberbullying. What will happen to uh, QAnon in the post-Trump
1: era? So, obviously, QAnon is...
4: Now, within five minutes of that getting banned, I was able to find a QAnon video that had 281,000 views on it, and it talked about how Democratic pedophiles were drinking, literally talked about how Democratic pedophiles were drinking the blood of Satan, or of children, And using this to steal the White House from us.
3: Patterson flagged this inconsistency and he got his interview restored. But in the meantime, the Democrat blood drinking pedophile video remained and racked up another 30,000 views. And
4: it just shows you the disconnect between what they say. YouTube says we're getting rid of all this QAnon stuff and what they do. They profit from something that gets hundreds of thousands of views. And it was right there, right in front of our face, ads running right next to a QAnon video.
3: And help the audience understand how they profit from more clicks. What's that mechanism of profitability?
4: Google's mechanism of profitability is called AdSense, and they really target behavior and then pair it with content that is designed to get you not just to watch a video, but to watch another video and maybe click like and maybe click comment. Their algorithms target you with content that is designed to engage you and not just let you watch one, but to keep you addicted to the platform. Facebook uses similar mechanics, but inside your newsfeed. And then they push you from that news feed into private groups that are less susceptible to public scrutiny, but they can continue to get the same engagement.
3: And uh, does Twitter have a profit motive here as well?
4: Yeah, Twitter's profit motive is huge. Look, uh, even though this platform, the Twitter platform, is smaller than Facebook or YouTube, um, It has really defined the public zeitgeist for the last at least four years. It was President Trump, former President Trump's platform of choice. And the earned media that Twitter got was incredible. Everyone talked about President Trump if he said or did something outrageous. They would also be talking about Twitter, which increased their engagement not just on the site, but their top of mind awareness worldwide.
3: We asked Twitter to join this conversation to talk about its brand new content monitor called Birdwatch.
0: Hey there, I am Keith Coleman. I am a VP of product at Twitter. What's Birdwatch? Birdwatch is a community-driven approach to addressing misinformation. And the idea with Birdwatch is that people on Twitter can identify tweets they believe are misleading uh, and add context that they think would be helpful to other people who are seeing those tweets. The goal is that when there's enough consensus from a broad and diverse set of contributors, the most helpful of those notes would actually be added to tweets on Twitter for everyone to see.
3: Fair to say January 6th was a galvanizing moment, however.
0: I would say uh, that the past year has reaffirmed the reasons we're doing Birdwatch. Over the past year, we've been adding context to tweets, but we also see the challenges and limitations with that approach. For example, we know that not everyone trusts or wants a single tech company or any singular institution to be uh, choosing what context to add and when. And, uh, you know, we've heard that a lot this year.
3: So help me understand a couple of uh, words you've used, community and context.
0: What's the community and how does it form? The community in Birdwatch is really the people on Twitter. Um, we want to allow anyone to be able to identify tweets they think are misleading and and propose um, additional information that could be shown to people that they would find helpful.
3: And then context is context the same as correcting? Is it the same as canceling? What is what is context? How do you mean that?
0: That is a great question. Um, to us, context is additive information that ultimately helps people make up their own mind and about what they're seeing. What we want Birdwatch to do is, you know, when you come across a tweet, you'll see the tweet, um, and if there's enough consensus from the community, you'll also see an additional blurb of information from Birdwatch contributors, from just other people on Twitter um, that have been found helpful by many people, and you'll be able to read those alongside the tweet.
3: Birdwatch is on a separate site for now, Twitter is still testing the size and composition of the community of users allowed to mark tweets and add other information. Dan Patterson told us he is underwhelmed. Why
4: aren't they? Why are they using volunteers? Why they have billions of dollars? Why don't they do a real effort? Pay people, pay people. It's nonsense. If they actually cared about it, they would say we are paying people. We are paying 10,000 people. a year to moderate content, and the worst content, the people who have to look at beheadings or child porn, those people, we're going to pay $200,000 a year. If they wanted to tackle the problem, they could afford to tackle the problem, but they don't. They keep coming up with novelties, and novelties allow harm to continue to propagate across their system.
3: Twitter argues there is a credibility issue that if Twitter employees are the ones screening content, then critics will claim bias or malfeasance on the part of big tech. Meanwhile, if Twitter users screen content, much like it's done on Wikipedia, the company argues that will democratize the process and therefore make it more credible.
8: An
1: independent oversight board will consider whether former President Trump should be allowed back on Facebook over the next few days. Com-
3: Facebook's new oversight board has the final say over content decisions there. The board, made up of journalists, judges, and academics, will soon decide on Facebook's suspension of Trump's account. That board has already overruled four decisions that took down content for violating standards on hate speech and violence. Patterson also waved off Facebook's so-called content Supreme Court.
4: It's the same nonsense. It's just a hand-waving nonsense. If you really wanted to fix your platform, you need to pay human moderators what they're worth and have them moderate content.
3: And take stuff off that uh, will take clicks away from you.
4: Yeah. And that's why they haven't. That's why they do all of these half measures. 60 Minutes is off this week. You're listening to a special broadcast of CBS Audio's The Debrief with Major Garrett. Up next,
3: more of Major's reporting on America's disinformation crisis. QAnon may be America's biggest disinformation problem. Dozens of those arrested for storming the Capitol court documents show drew at least some of their inspiration from QAnon tenants seeking vengeance. They called for the arrest or hanging of political leaders.
9: Hi, uh, my name is Jutath Jadeja. Um, I am an ex-Q follower. I followed Q from around December 2017 to June 2019.
3: We spoke to Jadeja for more than an hour about his two years as, in his words, a QAnon zealot, and his work now to help others who have left QAnon or who are trying to deprogram family or friends. That work, done from Australia where Jadeja lives, is complicated by the fact that he recruited his father into QAnon, and his father is still a believer.
9: It was a drug. Like, it was absolutely a drug. Like, I I feel like on some level, if you believe one conspiracy, you're more inclined to believe another. So, it started for me with stuff like, like, realistic stuff. Like, um, you know, the CIA is secretly in charge of North Korea and they're trying to use it as a nuclear gun to China's head. And I was like, whoa. Because, like, that just sounds like, to me, something that the CIA would do. Like, it it seems plausible at the very least. And it just goes, it just spirals out of control from there. Because, like, any drug, you need a bigger and bigger hit to get that high, which is why you need a bigger, more grandiose, more outlandish conspiracy theory. And I was I was completely addicted all day, every day for months, just looking and searching for that hit.
3: And and people like me who studiously and uh, repetitively and earnestly provide fact checks are utterly irrelevant in this process.
9: You are so irrelevant. You are so irre- like, like it's, it's hard to overstate. Like it's hard because it's like I cannot state the magnitude of the irrelevance that you are—it's just huge. During the pandemic, uh, the QAnon movement has been
4: appears to be gaining a lot of followers. Can you talk about what you think about that and what you have to say
0: to people who are following this movement right now?
1: Well, I don't know much about the movement, other
9: than I understand they like me very much.
3: What role does Donald Trump play in all this?
9: Donald Trump is—it's funny, right? Because. It's not really about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is just a dude. Like he's an idea. It's, he's like the God figure, right? If this to draw a parallel, a parallel, not, not an equivalent, the parallel to Christianity. Um, he's the God figure, Q's Jesus, and Q's the messenger. And Donald Trump is like this all-knowing, sort of all-seeing background figure that you just sort of attribute, you know, as as the main dude. Right? He could have he could have easily come up with anyone.
3: Jadeja believes himself a survivor of a type of mental destruction.
9: The one thing people need to understand is, look, I know people are scared of these Q people. And you should be scared. You should be really scared. These guys are dangerous. They're more dangerous than white supremacists. They're more dangerous than Nazis. They're more dangerous than the normal fascists. These people are zealots. They are crusaders. They are, their battle is not between the state and author, between authoritarians, libertarians, between countries, between Marxists, no, this is a battle for their souls, their souls, their, their children's souls, the souls of all mankind, This the stakes could not be bigger.
3: We will learn more about Jadeja's indoctrination, his descent, and his awakening to a great con. QAnon. What is it? Where did it come from? And can it be stopped? In part two of The Debrief, next Tuesday. Welcome back. You have been listening to The Debrief with me, CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent Major Garrett. You've just heard part one of our audio documentary on disinformation. Part two will be available in full on podcast platforms this Tuesday. Right now, here is a special preview.
9: These guys are dangerous. These people are zealots. They are crusaders. This is a battle for their souls, their souls, their, their children's souls, the souls of all mankind. This The stakes could not be bigger. They could literally not be bigger. Can you imagine what you would do if you thought that, that you know, that this was a reality?
3: Jatarth Jadeja was a QAnon believer for two years. We introduced him at the end of last week's episode.
9: What would you do? Think, seriously think about it. What would you do? And the answer is probably, probably nothing you wouldn't do. ...to save the souls of your children, right? But, so you should be scared. You should probably be a lot more scared than you are. But having said that, you need to master your fear.
3: Jadeja has left QAnon behind. He now moderates a chat room on Reddit called QAnon Casualties. It is there he confessed his QAnon mania. He found forgiveness from other QAnon survivors. And he's got something to say about what it will take to dilute QAnon influence on American life and politics.
9: The people are scared and they should be, but if you do not, if we do not master our fear of these people, we will not be able to act rationally and calmly as we need to do and make the correct decisions, not overbought, overworn by emotions of fear and anger and hatred. Because if we don't, if we, not, if we do not master our fear, and we do not take the exact right course of action, it will consume us, and they will consume us.
3: I'm Major Garrett, and this is The Debrief, Disinformation, Part 2.
5: Right conspiracy theory QAnon has spread like wildfire in recent months, gaining traction on social media platforms across the country.
3: Experts we spoke to about QAnon emphasized the need for empathy. The need, they said, despite our revulsion over assorted conspiracy theories and the violence visited on the Capitol January 6th, to walk toward QAnon believers and do so with compassion, to coax them away from its dangerous but clearly intoxicating brew of conspiracy theories... And rage.
7: Something that that I've thought about a lot lately is is how do we de-radicalize those that have fallen into um, the the QAnon community? And the the natural reaction, I think, is to ridicule and humiliate and tell them how could they possibly be that stupid. That's not helpful. That's never going to work. All it's going to do is You know, I think
3: they'll just retrench. Chris Krebs led, for nearly all the Trump administration, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, the federal agency charged with helping states protect election systems. President Trump fired Krebs for reporting what all the data showed. The 2020 election was secure and President Trump lost. Krebs and his family then faced weeks of physical threats and online harassment, so frightening that armed security was deployed. You know, assuming they
7: that we can't de-radicalize, um, it's got to be more about empathy and engagement and compassion and understand you know, getting to why we are where we are. Why do they feel that this is um, resonating with them?
3: Dan Patterson is a tech reporter for CBS and Money Watch.
4: Don't ignore the human component. Um, As creepy as some of these people are.
1: Iowa is a great place to visit, whether you live here or anywhere. Most people know Iowa is a place for corn. However, many who live here don't realize there is much more than what most people think of when they hear the word Iowa.
4: Look, I grew up in Iowa, and my, I have a good family, but we, we didn't have a ton of money growing up. And I lived in South Dakota for a couple of years, and I just, I got to know these people. They were my neighbors. And I still talk to people back west, and they, it's like a rancher I used to know is really into QAnon, and another is a horse trainer. Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
3: 60 Minutes will be back next week. I thank you for listening to this special broadcast of The Debrief with me, CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent Major Garrett. If you missed any of the show, you can listen to part one of our audio documentary on disinformation by subscribing to The Debrief wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe now and you won't miss part two when it becomes available on Tuesday. If you like 60 Minutes,
1: you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are
6: not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast